0: This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank.
1: Hello, this is Jim Kelleher, the CFO of Actifio, based in Boston, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast.
0: This is episode 360.
1: Higher education is a competitive environment would be an understatement. Um, You know, projected trends for high school graduates um, are declining in certain regions of the country. I think I mentioned this earlier, particularly in the Northeast where we're located. Um, What's interesting about New York State is that we graduate approximately 200,000 high school seniors every year. Of those, just under 70% go to college, and of those that are going to college, about 20% go out of state. So that leaves about 100,000 students, and in New York State, we have about 300 institutions of higher education. So, you know, the math just tells you that, that um, the landscape for recruiting students is hyper-competitive.
0: From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Lori Leo, CFO of Roberts Wesleyan College of Rochester, New York. Question. What happens when you're a small private college and the governor of your state cuts the ribbon on a tuition-free degree program for the state's university system? Lori Leo rolls up her sleeves and reveals the financial priorities and challenges faced by private education after these words from our sponsor. Finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid sized organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday. Built for the future. College and Northeastern Seminary of Rochester, New York. Now, Lori is a career CFO, having served as a finance leader for a number of different companies, so we've been looking forward to speaking with her. Lori, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jack. It's great to be with you today.
0: So tell us, if you don't mind, we always begin and ask our guests to to look back for us. And tell us a little bit about the path to the CFO office and what were those experiences uh, that helped develop uh, them for that role?
1: Yeah, great. Thanks, Jack. You know, it's really funny to be in the CFO role today because there was a period of my career where if, if you had asked me, what will you be doing down the road, I probably would have answered, raising my family, you know, being a good wife, and, doing some finance work, so in the very early part of my career, I didn't necessarily set out with the aspirations to be a CFO, and, and roles led me to this, but when when young people or aspiring leaders ask, you know, how did you get there, there's a couple things that I always say really helped to prepare me for the, the role that I'm in today. First and foremost, I don't think any of us in this field can overlook the value of credentials. So for me, that's a CPA and an MBA degree. Um, I started my career in public accounting, uh, stayed for the the traditional three years, at which point I left to earn my master's degree have my MBA from the University of Rochester's Simon Business School. but. I don't know if you know, there's approximately 200,000 MBAs that graduate each year, so credentials alone can never be enough. They're a great start for a career, and they were a great start for me. But I think there's a couple other things that have really helped me um, through my career. One, I would say, is just an experience from a variety of industries. So... You know, through the years, I have um, I have been a CFO of a number of organizations, as you mentioned, Jack, but I've served in service firms, so public accounting and in a consulting firm. I've been in large multinational corporations, served for a while in a family-owned business. Um, I've now come to the not-for-profit world, and so, you know, a lot of my moves were family balance-motivated with uh, two children. We have two ch- uh, college-age children today um and two of us are executives in the family my husband is um in public accounting as partner with a firm here in Rochester New York and so um so that's been my experience through a number of different industries and i, I have no doubt that the diversity of experience from those different industries has really enhanced my leadership but the other item that i would really call out as Um, good preparation to be a finance leader was actually getting out of the finance department. And so, um, you know, diversity of roles, I think, is is something that really should be strongly considered by those aspiring, quite honestly, to become a leader in any discipline. I think getting out and seeing the world through a different lens is really helpful. So from 2005 to 2013, for a period of eight years, I was – at a family-run business here in Rochester. It was a steel service center. started as the controller, left as the CFO, and in between those two roles, I actually moved out of the finance department. So I took a a vice president role heading up strategic initiatives and strategic planning. And so that just really helped me to think from a different side of my brain for, for a period of 18 months. And so whenever I... Have an opportunity to meet with students or young professionals. I just always really encourage them to take the take an opportunity like that to go get out of their comfort zone a little bit and learn from a different uh, different lens, so to speak. Now,
0: just curious, that company. What was the nature of its business?
1: Sure, so it it was um, it was a distribution business. so it was not a steel mill, but it was a distributor of steel that also did uh, a fair amount of value added processing. and um, so that was what the business was.
0: Okay, and I'm wondering if there was like a was a a distribution center, I guess, was required. Not really a plant, but uh, or how would you characterize it?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, there were there were a couple locations throughout New York State. The the hub was in Rochester, New York, and um, so the, the majority of that processing work, you know, which could be drilling holes in steel or. Trimming plates down to size, Um, but that processing largely took place at the Rochester plant, um, and the majority of the inventory came into Rochester, and we would shuttle inventory to the other locations um, and then deliver out to the customers every day.
0: We want to learn about uh, the decision making that eventually uh, leads you into the academic community, academic world, Uh, but what struck me was the breadth of different types of companies. Uh, that you were uh, once part of, and your career segues through, and that is uh, small business, family-owned business, medium-sized business, and large business. Uh, Can you offer any greater detail in terms of uh, about those experiences and, and how they shaped your point of view about finance over time? Sure, absolutely.
1: I'll give you just a real quick rundown. You know, I... After uh, graduating with my master's degree, I actually worked for Bausch and Lam here in Rochester, New York. Um, so, large multinational publicly traded corporation, co opt with uh, Xerox Corporation while I was earning my MBA. So, you know, very, very large firms. And then I went to & mom and, and after that, I went to a small um, privately owned uh corporate training business uh that was my first real leadership role as their controller um, you know and then those family driven moves started to happen. you know my husband at the time uh became an audit partner at arthur anderson we had a a second child who was a newborn and so you know i actually stepped into my own consulting practice for a few years that allowed me some 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 work life balance and some flexibility um and from there i went into a um a, a consulting firm a, a governmental consulting entity here in rochester as their the title was cfo it was really almost a chief operating officer role because i really handled anything that the research directors did not um, stayed there for a few years, and, and then that was when I moved into the Steel Service Center. Um, and after eight years, I was recruited away from from that company. Uh, to go to a commercial lending operation, again here in Rochester, that was a smaller firm that had recently been acquired by a bank in Southern California. So you talk about a quite a shift of, of industries from steel service centers to financial services and then into uh, my current role here in higher education. So it has been uh, quite a wild ride that I never could have predicted at the beginning of my career.
0: The academic world doesn't seem like an obvious next step for you, though can you share with us what uh, what what you were thinking as you moved on and i'm sure it's been uh, uh, satisfying in a number of ways but but what would you tell us about what led you into the world of academic
1: yeah it's it's really interesting uh, I think it's often very interesting to look backwards to see how some of the dots connect. It turns out that um, one of my networking contacts who was an advisor to that steel service center um, happens to be married to a trustee here at Roberts Wesleyan. And so, um, you know, I had left the steel service center. I was having breakfast with this contact one morning, and he said, you know, uh, Roberts Wesleyan is looking for a CFO. I don't know how that fits with you, but I just want to, to hear how you know if if you're interested in in pursuing this, and I said, well, it does sort of hit on two of my main passions in life, which are education and my faith. So my father had been a college professor, my mom was a k through twelve librarian, so i'm I'm the daughter of two educators, and i've actually done a fair amount of uh, adjunct teaching in the last several years and so when this opportunity came up, you know, frankly, I always thought I would end my career in higher education, kind of going back to the classroom to teach on a more regular basis. never really anticipated uh, moving into higher education in any type of administrative or leadership role. And so when the opportunity presented itself, um, I, I just felt like I, it was a great opportunity to consider, and um, and, and here I am.
0: As you considered the role, where did you think, given your past experience, that you could make a difference here? What was it that you felt you were going to bring uh, to this role?
1: Sure. You know, the, one of the things that I, one of the, I guess, traits I noticed about myself as I have progressed through my career is Um, not just an ability to, but also an interest in connecting dots. And, you know, lessons learned in one area are applicable in another area. I I guess I love to both teach and to learn. And so I think when I was making that decision, it, it really occurred to me that my entire career had really prepared me for the role that while, In a business, you're focused on sales and the bottom line. The reality is any nonprofit organization of which colleges and universities are um, still have revenue and still have expenses and still need to be fiscally sound in order to carry out their mission. And so a lot of the tools and tactics that I learned and employed in my corporate world experience are really very applicable in the higher ed. Space you know the language is a little different, the financial statements are downright downright quirky in the non for profit world um, but financial leadership is is really very similar and so for me one of the one of the great pleasures of reaching executive levels is really um, not just the opportunity to guide the financial aspect of an organization. But the opportunity to sit at the table with the other leaders and really help to craft and execute strategy and so for me to be able to to bring all that experience from the corporate world and then do that work in an arena that I was really passionate about, you know for me, it felt almost like honoring my father's life's work to come into higher education um, and it also just occurred to me that you know when I was in the corporate world, feeling like you know the work that I did really didn't benefit people individually; it just helped corporations get rich. That this also just gave me an opportunity to really impact uh, the lives of our students, and I see them every day on campus, which to me is really fulfilling.
0: Do you are, are the students the customer?
1: I think the students are one of our customers. Um, I think in higher education, I think in any business, I think there are multiple customers. there's the end customer that's paying for your product or service. But I think that I think the best run organizations are ones where the people who work in the organization view their colleagues as customers. So when you ask me for a report, I need to treat that request with as much customer service as I would are paying customers. And I, I think that that is what helps organizations move. So our students are customers? Absolutely. But they're not the only ones.
0: One would imagine there's all types of challenges that universities uh, today face uh, in this climate. We know that uh, the debate around college expenses continues to, to rev high. What's the heavy lifting now that you're expected to help address?
1: You know, it's been, I often think back several years ago to making the decision to come to Roberts, and I would do it all over again, but I will say that the landscape in higher education has gotten a little more challenging even in the three years that I've been here. And so, what I mean by that is that, you know, certainly you hear the conversation on the national landscape about the need for affordability and access, and and, at Roberts, we're absolutely committed to to doing our best to provide that. But we are in this very interesting um, inflection point, I would say, in this industry where the cost to operate a higher education institution is increasingly expensive. If you think about it, Jack, colleges have the same costs that other businesses do in terms of health insurance and minimum wage and other labor mandates, um, technology costs, et cetera, et cetera. And we're also in a period of time, particularly following the recession from 10 years ago, where if you think about state budgets are not flush with funding, and therefore state aid to both students and institutions has diminished greatly in the last decade. Um, the rate of, at which families are saving for college is reduced and both of those factors really put a lot of additional pressure on the, the need or the demand for unfunded scholarships from institutions. So it becomes a really challenging financial model. You know, while some people are complaining about the cost of tuition, and I understand that because I'm actually paying that as a parent myself, from my seat, I also see some of the challenges in running an institution. So when you ask about what are sort of the big things that go on in kind of in higher education, what are some of the big themes right now, it's really – particularly also as we're looking at shifting demographics and in some regions of the country like the northeast, declining demographics, it's really a very competitive market um, to go find that enrollment to support the schools. So really the, the big thing, I would say, is driving innovation in programs and in relevant programs that students want and need today.
0: Help us then better understand how you're able to read uh, the performance of the university or whether your goals are being achieved. What are the metrics, the numbers that are so important to you?
1: Sure. You know, I'll answer that on a couple levels. Um, and I will get to those financial ones, but this is how we think about it. We have a strategic plan here at the college that has really three main pillars. Um, One is called engaged campus culture, and so that's uh, kind of a thriving community for both our employees and our students. One pillar of the plan is innovative growth, for obvious reasons, and one is transformational partnerships, you know, on the belief that it is partnerships that will help also to take us into the future. So we've got performance indicators for for each of those areas. And so they, they are things like in the engaged campus culture, we look at employee satisfaction, we look at student satisfaction and retention rates and diversity of faculty and staff uh for innovative growth we're we're measuring that a uh, little bit more outcome type metrics but we're looking at what is our discount rate what is our net tuition revenue and and frankly what is our tuition dependence and what i mean by that is um... you know if you think of a harvard or a yale or those those types of institutions that have just monster endowments, those endowments fund a a tremendous percentage of the operation of those institutions um, many many colleges are not in that place and so uh... many colleges are therefore what we would refer to as tuition dependent and so we're watching that number we want to be as um we want to be less tuition dependent and that's one of our metrics that we look at um, so so those are some of the metrics. When you think about higher education, it's also really important to think about uh, what the corporate world would refer to as the sales cycle, right? So as we are out recruiting students, that sales cycle, if you will, is about an 18-month process. It starts generally around the junior year of a high school student, and they're making that decision toward the end of their senior year. So as far as enrollment, is concerned which is a significant driver of financial the financial health of an organization you know we are on a weekly basis we are looking at predictive measures but that that help to point to what our enrollment will be um so things like inquiries and applications and acceptances and visits to campus and deposits we're looking at all those metrics both as, as they pertain to the year we're recruiting for, but also as they relate or compare to the previous several enrollment cycles. And so, watching the, those are probably the most one of the most important metrics we watch in the institution. And those really can help us to change our strategies and tactics as we need to, so that we enroll the class that, that we're planning on. And then, from a finance perspective. Some of the metrics we track are a couple of the items I mentioned before, things like discount rate and net tuition revenue, but due to the cyclical nature, if you think about the semester-based cycle of a college and that we bill at the beginning of a semester and so we have influxes of cash at the beginnings of semesters, um, cash flow is really cyclical, and so um, monitoring cash flow is probably as or more important here in this higher education space as it's probably been in any point in my career.
0: You've revealed to us some of the uh, the climate, the economic climate that uh, universities have to uh, exist in today, but we'd be interested in learning more about uh, the marketplace for this university's offerings, and what are the challenges, and and what gives Robert Wesleyan its edge today?
1: Sure. Yeah, you know, Jack, to say that higher education is a competitive environment would be an understatement. Um, You know, projected trends for high school graduates... Um, are declining in certain regions of the country. I think I mentioned this earlier, particularly in the Northeast where we're located. Um, What's interesting about New York State is that we graduate approximately 200,000 high school seniors every year. Of those, just under 70% go to college, and of those that are going to college, about 20% go out of state. So that leaves about 100,000 students, and in New York State, we have about 300 institutions of higher education. So, you know, the math just tells you that, that um, the landscape for recruiting students is hyper-competitive in New York State. On top of the demographic trends that I just described, the public system, the, the SUNY system here in New York State, uh, last year announced a new pricing model, which really raises the bar for competition. So when, when I think about our students, our traditional undergraduate students are, are really looking for the most cost-effective way to have a full college experience that will set them up for, for meeting their career goals as, as they move into uh, their career working professionals, or what we would refer to as our adult and graduate students, are really looking for programs that both fit their busy schedules and also help them to move forward in their careers. And so... When we think about the, the competitive landscape and, and what our students are really looking for, I'd say that our competitive edge really comes from two, two areas in particular. One is you know, we, we offer a uniquely faith-based education um, in a traditional setting right here in Rochester, New York, and we guarantee that our students will get the classes and the guidance that they need to graduate on time. And you know as a tuition-paying parent, one of the things we really want for our students is not just for children to graduate, but for them to graduate on time and move into paid employment. Um, So that's, that's something that I think we do really well here at Roberts. The other competitive edge um, that I would speak to is that both at Roberts Wesleyan and at our seminary, uh, we have been leaders in adult education and online programs, um, which to some people may be sort of the new rage or the new trend in higher education, but online programs have been part of our DNA for more than two decades. So we've sort of figured out how to offer time-shortened degrees um, in both face-to-face and online settings in a way that appeals to to adult learners. And so um, it's something that, that we have been involved in for a long time we're not new to this game and we continue to refresh our program offerings at both the undergraduate and the graduate level on a continual basis so i think those are things that help us in this hyper-competitive landscape
0: you know i'm curious we always like to ask for an aha moment and i think you've already shared a few perhaps but let us ask that question again in terms of a moment of strategic insight that you experienced that led you Uh, to make a decision or point uh, point at you in a new direction what might that have been
1: sure you know i think i think jack uh, this role that i'm in right now at robertson northeastern has has probably afforded me the opportunity to drive change and have an impact more so than any other point in my career or any other role in my career and so for me i I think really that aha moment was really that realization that I could move from a career in the corporate world into higher education and and make an impact you know as I said earlier I, I never really anticipated being in a leadership role in higher education, but you know as I said earlier as well, I realized that my career to this point had had prepared me for this role, and what what I found was really interesting is this transfer of talent from outside of higher education sort of a new trend that we're seeing um, in you know higher education is a pretty specialized industry on the finance end and i and I think that for a long time you either grew up in higher education or you didn't and if you grew up there, you could eventually reach the ranks of a cFO role and if you didn't, you probably wouldn't but in my first year here at Roberts I attended a conference for new business officers, as we're called in higher education. And I I was really surprised but an overwhelmingly large percentage of those participants had come from outside the industry. And I and I think it's it's I think it has to do with what I described a few minutes ago about the state of flux that the industry's in and You know, I think that because some institutions are really struggling, you know, we've read in in the popular business press, we've read stories of colleges and universities struggling or some that have closed or merged, and that's a newer trend. Those are not stories we would have heard 30 years ago, and so... I I think because that's where the the industry is and the challenges are great and the need for innovation is really high, I, I just think that coming in with with different experiences is really helpful. You know, for all the same reasons that we talk about diversity in our hiring and all the benefits that, that diverse hiring can bring on an organization, I, I would say the same holds true true for diversity of experience. And so You know, I'm I'm not sure this is the most exciting answer to your question for a real aha moment, but um, I I think it was really being well-prepared through a diverse career and then being willing to say yes to a new and different opportunity I think put me in a position to to make an impact. But, Jack, the other thing that I would add to this conversation and maybe as an encouragement to other finance leaders is really – to encourage opportunities that stretch you and to take you to places that you might not think you would have considered or that you would end up. And I think, as it did for me in this case, it could sometimes lead somebody to a role that would allow them to fulfill their passion. And so, you know, for me, it's more than about being a good CFO. It's really about making a difference. and. Because I see our students every day, it's just so fulfilling. And so for me, having made this transition, it's been uh, just, it's an honor really to be here and to play a part in carrying out the mission of the college and the seminary.
0: Hello, Thought Leader listeners. Thank you for listening and stick with us because Laurie's about to enter the mentoring round right after this short message from one of our favorite sponsors. You want smart? year by the Ethisphere institute to learn more visit uspayment.com middle market okay we're gonna uh move to our mentoring round questions you've already offered such great advice but we always like to ask this one in terms of when you first entered the cfo office was there some piece of advice you wish someone had given you and again, it's sometimes it's a leadership piece of advice, sometimes it's a way how we carry ourselves. But what would you what would you share if there was one thing you wish someone had shared with you before you, you entered that office?
1: Yeah, that that's great. Um, you know, as a CFO, I think there's a lot that rests on your shoulders. And and frankly, I think for any executive leader, there's a lot that rests on an executive's shoulder. And you know, in the CFO office, if the business is doing well, you're kind of hustling to make sure that you can invest appropriately in growth and in the future direction. Um, if the business is not doing well, you're trying to make sure you have as many opportunities as possible to improve or maybe in some cases to survive. And so you know, there is just a lot that rests on the shoulders of the CFO, and I think it's easy to feel like it's all your responsibility. Um, And I think on top of that, it's really easy for a new executive to feel like they have a lot to prove, they have to know all the answers, you know, certainly in in certain environments that are highly political, they really might be feeling like they have a lot to prove. And so, again, it's easy to feel like it's all sitting on your shoulders. And so when I think about that question, I guess the thing I – wish somebody had said to me or maybe I had realized earlier on is that it's not up it's not all up to me and I I think the piece of advice is recognize what is clearly in your span of control um, that you can handle on your own what are the areas where you can collaborate with others and what are the things that are completely out of your control or the organization's control and I think being clear in those areas helps you Proactively focus on what you can control and not waste energy on the things that you can't.
0: Do you have a personal habit you believe has contributed to your professional success? Uh,
1: I, my husband would tell you, based on our bill from Amazon, that it's probably reading, and I would agree with that.
0: <laughs> well, that leads into our next question. We always like to ask for a book. I don't know if you have one top of mind. And it's not intended to be a finance book, but is there a book uh, that you'd recommend uh, to future or aspiring finance leaders?
1: Yeah. Actually, with me, I'd say that's kind of a dangerous question. I I read a lot, and I read about a lot of different topics. And and to, to the point you just made a moment ago, most of what I read are not really finance books, but really more about how to be successful as a leader. Um, not just even in in finance, and so you know, I'll I'll mention a couple topics, and then I'll, I'll give you a couple specific books. But I would say anything on leading change is really really important. So th- there's great writing by John Cotter. There's a great book called Switch, How to Change When th- When Change is Hard, written by Chip and Dan Heath. Um, I would also highly recommend. Um, a classic book called Crucial Conversations. Again, a lot to do with sort of emotional intelligence, but it's how you do your work. Um, Patrick Lencioni has a great book uh, called, he's got a lot of great books, but one in particular called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team um, is, is really important at learning how to function at the leadership level. Um, but I'll give you two other ones. I Over the summer, I read uh, Colin Powell's my american journey and what a great story of leadership through a number of decades that was just really inspiring to read and probably the most inspiring book i've read recently is a book called just courage written by gary haugen Um, that was a really inspirational account of his creation of and his leadership of an organization called international justice mission and it's really about Serving where your passion lies and really making an impact in the world. So that one really left a big impression on me.
0: Wonderful. Some some great choices we haven't heard before, actually. So um, thank you. Our final question, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months?
1: Yeah, always looking ahead for sure. So, you know, I'll answer this in two ways. One is from within the finance department, some of the things the finance department is focused on, and we're strongly focused on driving innovation and automation, you know, within our own processes to create efficiencies. Um, and I think we're always focused and, and we remain focused on the evolution of our data analysis and reporting in order to support The decisions of the college as we execute our strategic plan so that's sort of the view from within the finance department outside of finance in conjunction with my fellow leaders I'm just really focused on executing our strategic plan you know which is really squarely focused on creating value both for our students and our employees to, to be a great place to work and on driving growth through innovation and partnerships. So, you know, from my perspective, as I look out over the next 12 months, I, I think it's just a really exciting time to be in higher education. And I can't think of a better place to be than at Roberts Wesleyan College and Northeastern Seminary.
0: Lori Leo, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Jack.